Welcome to the City Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our messages. Our prayer is that you would listen, learn, and be inspired to love God, love others, and serve the world. Subscribe and share these messages to bless others. Here's this week's message. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. I, I realize there's, there's three groups of people here. There's people who have known me and we've been in fellowship for a long time at City Alliance, and I'm, I'm Spence. There's some of you that are brand new to City Alliance in the last 18 months. I'm also Spence. And then there's some of you that waited until after I left. We've been friends for a long time, but you waited until after I left and started coming. <laughs> and I'm also Spence. <laughs> it's good to be home. Um, the first thing that I wanted to do when I woke up on Thursday morning was to go uh, downtown, drink some alabaster coffee, uh, peruse and smell the auto bookstore, and get a Bavarian Barbarian from the Moon and Raven. And I only got to do two of those things, but in the words of Meatloaf, two out of three ain't bad. Um, our time here has been limited, but it's been great to have the opportunity just to just to share a couple moments with friends and family, people who feel comfortable and familiar, safe, good. It's, it's good to be home. Um, we say things like this, right? We say home is where the heart is, or, or, or home sweet home. Um, we sing about it, right? Leonard Skinner sang about it. John Denver sang about it. Uh, Michael Kiwanuka has a great song about it, and hundreds more. This time of year we sing, um, there's no place like home for the holidays. Um, we even got songs about this in like the romantic sense, that, that we belong with someone. It feels like we belong with someone. Uh, Billy Joel said, I need you in my house, because you're my home. Right? One of my favorites, Randy Newman, said that, that, that you feel like home to me. It feels like I'm on my way back to where I belong. We, we sing about this kind of thing. We talk about this kind of thing because home isn't just where the heart is. Home is our harbor. Home is the place, and I, and I know I'm speaking in an idealistic sense, but, but home is the place where, where we feel safety and restoration and comfort and, and, and where we're strengthened. Um, it's the place where, where everything feels as it ought to be. Uh, it's, it's arranged to suit you. Right? Uh, I think about it this way, um, we, in our first house, uh, which Sam and Amara now live in, um, we lived there 11 years, and it got to the point where I could just like walk around in the pitch black dark and not bump into anything, because I just kind of knew where everything was. I could do that in your house, Sam. <laughs> it's not creepy at all. You know, 18 months ago, though, we moved to Colorado Springs, and, and and if you've moved around a lot, you know that, that, that it takes time for a new place to really get that, that feeling of being home. Even though all of your people and all of your stuff are there, it just feels off for a while. Um, new rooms, new furniture, new smells, for good or bad. Uh, all of these things, it, it, it doesn't quite feel yet like home. But when you begin to feel like you're home, it's where you want to be. It's the place where you feel renewed. Um, it's why it can be so draining to be away from home. Like, you could be on vacation, and, and you just feel ready for home. It's not that you want to leave the beach or leave the cabin or wherever you go, but, but there's just no place quite like your own bed. 
right? If you travel a lot, you could be doing and seeing incredible stuff, but you begin to long and ache for home. Coming home is, is good for our souls. And that's why being without a home can be so destructive for us. I, I'm, I'm super grateful for the partnership that this church has been able to have with Family Promise over the years because, because homelessness doesn't just mean that you're without a house. It means that you lack that place of restoration and renewal. And it can be damaging. It can be alienating. It, it wears on you physically and, and mentally and emotionally. Uh, Heather Thompson Day, who's an author, and she has been a professor out in Colorado Springs, has this pinned tweet for years now, and she just shares a profoundly moving story in 280 characters. She says, I had a student once who entered college with a 1.2 GPA. She finished with honors and a full-ride scholarship to her next school. She was the same person she was in high school. The only difference was that in college, for the first time in her life, she had a bed. To be homeless is to suffer just an immense depravity. But we can experience homelessness in, in ways beyond kind of material homelessness. We can feel culturally homeless, and feeling like we don't fit in or are unwanted in our cultural landscape. We can feel politically homeless. You know, in a, in a country that's obsessed with political power, you know, what do we do when the issues that matter to us no longer fit nicely into a political platform to which we've pledged allegiance? Hint, it's not supposed to for Christians. We can feel socially homeless. We don't know where we belong or who we belong to. You know, in the midst of, of a pandemic, we've just felt lonely and isolated and displaced more than ever. We can feel spiritually homeless. I, I talk to a lot of people who are, who are wrestling because they're becoming more and more aware that the Jesus of America doesn't quite look like the Jesus of Nazareth. And they don't know what to do with that. They don't know what to do with that dissonance. They feel spiritually homeless. There's, other, there's dozens of other ways that you might feel homeless today, but here's our reality. In this world, we all exist to some degree as exiles longing for home. We cannot be who we ought to be, who God made us to be, while we're living in exile. In in Isaiah, the word of the Lord comes to the people who are about to experience exile. Isaiah is given the task of telling the people of Israel that they're going to be removed from their home. Back in Isaiah 6, the famous here I am, send me passage, uh, the the angel of the Lord tells Isaiah what his message is going to be. And Isaiah's response is, how long do I have to tell them that? And the angel of the Lord says, they're not going to listen to you, man. But you're going to have to just keep telling them. And so Isaiah's job is to tell the people that because of your disobedience, because you continue to rebel against God, because you keep choosing what is right in your own eyes and following the patterns of the world instead of living in light of God and his promises as his covenant people, you're going to lose your home. And in a way, we're living out that same story today. The reality of sin is that every one of us is in exile. Every one of us is in exile. There's something in us that even though things could be going well for us, we, we, we just feel off. Right? There's something deep inside of us that struggles to feel like we fit in, like we belong here. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote that, 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 that there's this tension that exists inside of us. He says that if I find in myself something uh, desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. 
And we are. We are. In the beginning, we were made to live in Eden. We lost it. And the entire narrative of the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament is this nomadic people of Israel grasping to find a home and God providing them one and the people of Israel saying that's not enough. Over and over and over again, nothing satisfies them and nothing satisfies us. We can have it pretty great and we start thinking about how much better it would be if we had more. Sin hasn't just infected our hearts. It's infected our entire world. The world is no longer the home that we were meant for. We we live in a world now that cannot sustain us, that cannot satisfy us. And so all of us, deep down, feel homeless. So where do we find home? The psalmist says in Psalm 90, that God has been our dwelling place in every generation. God is our home. God is our home. The reason Eden was humanity's perfect home was not that we had a perfect relationship to a place, but because we had a perfect relationship to a person. God is our home. We were designed to to live face-to-face with God, to walk with God in the cool of the day, the Word says. We're made to love him, to work with him, to dwell with him, to enjoy him, to be fulfilled by him forever. That's what we're made for. And short of that, nothing satisfies. We try to create homes in places, in spaces, and people that will never be sufficient. We live for, for, whenever we live for our worldly desires or our success or our politics or our career or even our family, we can idolize our family. When we do that, we might believe in God, but if we're putting, making anything else more important than he is, if we're, we're making our home in anything else, then, then we're not actually living for God. And spiritually, it's like trying to make a home out of a cardboard box in Brandon Park in the middle of winter. It will never be enough. It can never be enough. It's not enough for you. It's, it, it's not what you were meant for. Augustine said that, that, that God made us for himself and our hearts are restless until we rest in him. This world, at least this version of it, is not, it's not our home. It's no longer the place that God designed it to be. It's broken by sin. Romans said that creation itself is groaning for renewal and restoration. It's no longer a lush flourishing garden. It's a dying wilderness and a dry land. We were never made for a world where there's darkness and death. We were never made for a world where we would be divided by class or race. We were never made for a world where we can become numb and apathetic towards just the, the, the senseless killing of other human beings made in the image of God. We were never made for that. We were never made for a world where there's sickness and disease, depression and loneliness, loss, mourning, etc. We were not made for that. And it's not natural selection, it's the curse of sin. We're in exile. And the season of Advent, what, what it's meant to do, it's meant for all of us to feel that. It's to lean into this, this waiting and the weeping and the, and the desperate need that we have for all of the sad things to come untrue, for, for salvation to come. We need salvation. We need a Savior. We need someone to bring us home. And that's the story of this passage. 
Right? And it's the gospel story told throughout Scripture. The gospels, it's not just a reconciliation story, it's a homecoming story. Right? The entire Old Testament is this, is this wandering homeless people wrestling with the promise that God is going to send a Messiah to bring them home. And then the New Testament is the story of that Messiah coming to begin that work of bringing us home and, and, and telling us that he'll ultimately come and give us the home that we're meant for. The story that begins in God's garden will ultimately begin again in God's city. Grace will lead us home to live forever with the one who made us, the one who is our home. In the moment where those, those promises of redemption that God has for us begin to become a reality, it's Christmas. Christmas changes everything. In this passage, um, we have good news. It says the wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice like a, like a, like, and blossom like a wildflower. It will blossom abundantly and will also rejoice with joy and singing. We, um, Beth and I live in a desert now. Um, it's a high, high desert, but it's a desert. And so, like, just the idea of things just being in bloom there. It costs thousands of dollars to have grass in Colorado Springs. Here, grass just grows whether you want it to or not. It talks about this, this desert, this wilderness, this dry land will blossom and be abundant. It will rejoice with joy and singing. Just think about the imagery of this text. It, it doesn't make sense, right? This is not something that deserts are meant to do. What it's saying here is that there will come a day when the glory of the Lord shows up in such a way that everything changes. There won't be deserts anymore. Right? This is the renewal of all things. There will no longer be hunger. There will no longer be thirst. He even named some places that were known at the time, like, like, like Carmel and Sharon. Those are places that were known at the time for their physical beauty and their flourishing. And even those places will bow down to the glory of the Lord. Right? Even the beautiful places will no longer simply be beautiful as they are, but they will be perfect. The world today is no longer the place we were meant for, but one day it will be. Right? The curse of Genesis 3 will be reversed once and for all. Because God is renewing all things. And if we look closely at the words used to describe this new world, it's things like gladness and re rejoicing and singing and glory and majesty. Like, joy is the default of a redeemed world. Joy is. That's the world to come. And how? Why? Because God himself is coming to lead them. It says, strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking knees, say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. The reason for the renewal of all things is that God himself is coming to the world. That's Christmas. The hope and the promises of God inspire and strengthen and restore his people. Think about the words in the middle of this passage. He says, be strong, do not fear. Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come. If you ever feel faint in life, if you ever feel weak in the knees, like you, like you don't know if you can keep going, like if you, if you don't know if you can do it anymore, behold God. Behold God. If you need strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, behold God. Right? Because we, we become what we behold. Right? If you find yourself growing bitter and divisive or, or hateful or 
or selfish or, or whatever, it might be because you're beholding something that is making you into those things. But in the dark times, in the dry times, in, in the wilderness times, what will lead you through it, what will strengthen you through it, is beholding God. Because he is with you. He will save you. Behold God. Because he is committed to his people and he's faithful in his promises. But the interesting thing here is that it says he will come with vengeance and recompense. And that's a word that means to, to repay a debt. It's like a ransom. It's what we sing about when we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, ransom, captive Israel. Because Israel, God's people, because of their rebellion, because of the curse of sin, they are under a debt that they cannot repay. And so are we. And in those days, if you owed a debt, you were in essence enslaved or bound by that debt until you paid it off. But the storyline of Scripture is that we cannot repay the debt. Because, because sin buries us under a debt that we cannot repay. And the Lord is coming to get what he's owed. But, but, but that doesn't sound like good news. I mean, I don't like that promise. When we think about judgment, we often think of it as bad news. But in speaking biblically, judgment is good news for a world that's wicked and evil. For a world that's broken by sin. Because, because it's the justice of God that puts the world right. right. Human life is able to flourish again when it's put right. Because, because when God judges, life can flourish. Because he's all about righteousness. And this passage is saying that God is coming for a divine retribution to get payment for what he's owed. But here's why it's good news. Because God is not indifferent to injustice. His, his love cannot abide it. Holocaust survivor Elie Wiesel said that, that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. God has to act against the evil of this world because he so loves the world. And so we came, and he's coming again. But ultimately, we see in this first advent that God didn't come to bring vengeance, but to bear. And he does this by sending his son, Jesus, to pay the debt we cannot pay and to bring us home. That's the story of Christmas. We've turned it into uh, cute songs and crushes. But Philippians 2 says that, that Jesus gave up his divine home, to be an exile on earth. Jesus came to identify with all of us exiles. He was born to a teenage girl who, because she became pregnant while unwed, she would have been an outcast amongst her people. He was born in, in a stable, or more likely a cave, and, and, and he was put into a slot box for a crib. Right? It's cuter when we say manger. Let's call it what it is, Right? There was mess, and there was crap, and there was noise at Jesus' birth. Like, it wasn't quite a silent night, right? Jesus was born as one who is homeless and lived most of his life as an outcast and wanderer, even to the cross. At the cross, what does Jesus say? As he cries out to God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, why have you exiled me? Jesus was born in exile, lived as an exile, and died as an exile, so that we wouldn't be have, to, have to be exiles anymore. He became homeless so that he could bring us home. God in Christ doesn't come to bring vengeance upon us, but to bear it for us. Because he loves us. 
That's how he saves us. That's how he brings us home. And Isaiah says this is what happens when the glory of the Lord shows up in a, in a present incarnational way. These are all things we sang about this morning in songs like Build Your Kingdom Here and, and, and You're Coming. The, the, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the eyes of the deaf will uh, unstopped and the lame will leap like deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy for the water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground will become a pool and the thirsty land springs. In the haunt of jackals in their lairs, there will be grass and reeds and papyrus. This is all inaugurated with the advent of Christ and his first coming. Right? If you read the Gospels, when, whenever Jesus shows up, the blind begin to see and the deaf begin to hear and the lame leap and dance, the mute speak and the, the dead come alive. You know? I don't know what Mary actually knew about her baby boy, but she would have known Isaiah and she would have known that. When Jesus comes, renewal begins everywhere. I've never been in the haunts of jackals, but I have seen the Lion King. <laughs> and the elephant graveyard, right, is about to be popping with grass and growth, right? And it's not just a physical renewal, it's a spiritual renewal. The sad things come untrue. The brokenness of the world begins to show glimpses of restoration, of, of resurrection, the curse of sin is reversed once and for all. And it all begins with Jesus, and it's made complete with Jesus when he comes again. There's hope for the exile. He says a road will, will be there in a way. It will be called the holy way. The unclean will not travel it, but it will be for the one who walks the path. Fools will not wander on it. There will be no lion there, and no vicious beast will go up on it. They will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk on it. And the ransom of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee. God has made a way when there was no way. As the psalm says, sorrow and weeping last only for a night. Joy comes in the morning. There's a line in verse 8 that I um, feel especially comforted by, and I want to make sure you understand. On this highway in the desert, Isaiah says, fools will not wander on it. And, and it's not saying that fools will not be on the road. It says that fools will not wander on the road. Another translation articulates this, I think, even better. It says, even if they are fools, they shall not go astray on this road. Is there, is there anyone in this house that this is good news for today? Right? Anybody else act a fool a little bit? This is good news. Right? You don't have to point at other people. But God will make a way of holiness so clear that any fool can find their way on this road. And it shall, it shall belong to those who walk on the way. It shall belong to the redeemed. You see, this is the new exodus. Right? There was once when God split the waters of the Red Sea so that the people could escape slavery in Egypt, and now he's going to build a superhighway so that we could flee from the death and darkness of sin. This is the holy way of the Messiah. It's a, it's a pilgrimage to freedom. It's a journey home. And it says that when we come home to God, joy and gladness overtakes us. And sorrow and sighing flee. 
I feel like I've done more sorrow and sighing in the past 18 months than most of my life. I can think of so many times in my life where I've been touched deeply by the brokenness of this world. Losing parents. Seeing my wife struggle with health. Seeing my kids brokenhearted at times. Seeing indifference and injustice sweep over the world. One day, sorrow and sighing flee. And joy and gladness overtake us. And here's the thing about this. This isn't just a promise for one day. This is a promise for now. One of the marks that you found a home in God through Jesus is that joy and gladness overtake you. It changes the entire way that you live your life. You see, you can live, the pattern of this world is bitterness and vengeance and grudges and division and power and all of these things that keep us from actually having joy and gladness overtake us. But when we are in Christ, when we believe that God is greater than any other thing, that he's more worthy than any other thing, that he's more beautiful than any other thing, that that, that, that and that he is the one where we can finally have peace. He's the one that we can put all of our, our hope eggs in his basket. Right? Where we could trust him and his faithful love that never fails, that endures forever. What is left for us but joy? What is left for us but to be a people marked with joy in our city? This entire, every, every neighborhood that you live in, this entire valley should see the people of God and know what joy looks like. That, that's, that's, that's a promise for us today. That even in the waiting, even through the tears of our weeping, that even in the pain and the brokenness around us, that we can hold on to the joy that we have because we've found our home again with God. And we know that coming is the day when he is going to come once again. And by his grace, he will lead us home. He's going to make all things new. And we will live with him forever. Isaiah 35 invites us to reflect during this Advent season that not only... Uh, uh, that, that we're celebrating God's coming in Christ, but also our coming home. God comes, and we rejoice. God is with us, and we are home. Amen? Let me pray for you. God of the exiles and the lost, you promise restoration. You promise wholeness through the sending of your Son, Jesus Christ. Give us faith today to live joyfully, to be sustained by your promises as we await the day when all of your promises will be fulfilled, when all of your promises find their yes and amen once and for all. 
our Lord and Savior named Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that today's message encouraged and inspired you. If you live in the Williamsport region of PA, we'd love to engage you in person. You can find more information on service times, city groups, and our incredible kids and youth ministry at citylions.org. That's citylions.org.